recovered compulsive overeater, and I live in Scottsdale, Arizona. So glad to be here today. So happy to be here today. Uh, it is the day after Christmas. It's December the 26th, 2020. So this will be our last session for the year 2020. The next time we meet next Saturday, it'll already be 2021. We have been talking about resentments. We have been talking about where they come from and we have been talking about why they are so toxic to us. But let's kind of go over some of that stuff because I think it bears review. Resentment is a feeling that we feel over and over again. To re means to do again. And sentiment comes from an old word, sentiri, which means to feel. So to resent something means to refeel an old hurt or an old pain or something like, uh, not something like, it's a, it's a feeling that we rehearse over and over again. And the reason that these resentments are so toxic to us is because when feeling them and rehearsing them, we are uncomfortable. And when we're uncomfortable and we have that buildup of human emotion, the brain is gonna to signal to me that it is time for me to eat cookies. It's not gonna to signal to me for me to eat steamed broccoli. It's not gonna to signal to me to, to eat steamed salmon or trout with nothing on it that's you know dangerous for me. It's gonna to signal to me to eat something that is gonna do what? It's gonna give me the effect. And what is that effect? That effect is that sense of ease and comfort that comes instantly by eating certain foods. And that these foods will produce in me a change in my attitudes, a change in my ideas, and they will very, very temporarily make me feel better. But that's not the end of the story. We also have the physical allergy. And that physical allergy is going to get tripped. It's going to get triggered every single time that substance enters into my body. You see, if I didn't have that physical allergy and I got a resentment, I could just carry around a bunch of M&Ms or Reese's Pieces or what have you. I would have like a Batman utility belt and I would take out a M&M with peanuts, of course, pop it in my mouth like a pill and it would act on me like a Xanax. It would make me feel very, very good temporarily. But we also have the other side of the coin and that is the physical allergy. And this physical allergy, allergy is an un, uh, is a adverse abnormal reaction to a food, a beverage, or a substance. Adverse means it's harmful. Abnormal means most people do not react to that substance the way I do. And then when I eat that chocolate to make me feel better, it's going to boomerang back around on me and it is going to make it impossible for me to stop eating chocolate. I will not be able to predict or control the amount of chocolate or cookies or pizza or whatever it is. You could fill in your own allergic blanks. I'm not going to be able to stop. And if I can't stop and I keep eating, that is going to be very, very harmful to me. So this word allergy, an adverse abnormal reaction. Adverse means it's harmful and abnormal means only a small minority of people react the way I do. And these resentments are among the most effective ways of getting my mind to focus in on that sense of ease and comfort that's gonna come at once by eating that substance. And that is how resentments kill by driving me involuntarily into the arms of a Chips Ahoy cookie. Now, what is the payoff to a resentment? Because we're gonna be talking about resentments all morning today. That is gonna be the entire focus of our session is going to be resentments. 
what is the payoff to a resentment? We rehearse them and we water them and we fertilize them and we spread them around to those who are willing to listen. Why do we do that? We don't sit and talk about, in most cases, what goes in our lives that's wonderful or blessed. Many of you had wonderful abstinent holidays today, or yesterday, excuse me, yesterday and, and uh, uh, Thursday, Thursday night. Many of you have had blessed contact with family members, albeit Zoom or phone or what have you, because you know we're in the middle of a pandemic and so on, but you've had beautiful gifts and things bestowed upon you. And yet, if left unchecked, most of us would go back to what we're mad about, the resentments. Why, why do we do that? Why do we do that? We do that because resentments allow me to abdicate any responsibility for my life such as it is. And I can blame you. And in shifting that blame, I'm going to abdicate any responsibility and I've got you to blame and I can assign that blame so that I can explain away why I'm eating the way I'm eating, why I'm thinking the way I'm thinking, why I'm living the way I'm thinking, living and all the things that are wrong in my life become your fault. What are the four things all of us love to do as addicts? We lie. We lie to ourselves, we lie to others, and we're gonna be talking about that today too. We lie, we assign blame, we keep score in our relationships, and we fight battles that just don't exist. We do these things incessantly, and we do them organically. And we don't even know most of the time that we're doing it. Okay, so the other thing that we need to remember about resentments, is that in keeping with lying not only to others, but lying to myself, I wanna just remind you that I happen to be a sports fan. I love the Chicago Bears. And I have a recording here at my house of the day that the Bears won the Super Bowl in 19, January of 1986, they beat the Boston Patriots 44 to 10 in New Orleans, Louisiana at the Superdome. And if there was a test that was given on this broadcast of what the announcers were gonna say and what commercials were gonna come up and what, what play and who scored and who gained yards and all this, I would get an A plus. You might be able to tie me on that, but you would not be able to beat me. Now, the recording of that Super Bowl, the recording of that has something, it has a quality that I do not have. What is the name of that quality? The name of that quality is fidelity. And what does fidelity mean? It means consistency and truth. If we say that it has high fidelity, remember for those of you who are my age, long time before stereo record players and stereo, everything came up, everything was hi-fi, right? My father probably much till the day he died called the record player the Victrola. And then my mother, who was young, a little younger than him, she would call it the hi-fi, and I would call it the record player. But in keeping with hi-fi, what does hi-fi mean? It means high fidelity. So that that recording is exactly the same no matter how many times I play it. Not so with resentments. Not so at all, because you see, when I have a resentment rolling around in my soul, rolling around in my head and rolling off my tongue, every single time that I think about that resentment, I change it just a little bit. And how do I change it? I don't even know I'm doing it most of the time. I'm not aware of it most of the time, but I'm doing it anyway. And here's what I'm doing. I'm making your part in this resentment just a little bit more nefarious and evil. And I'm making my part in this resentment a little more <clears throat> innocent 
and a little bit more well-intentioned. And what we find out is the road to hell is paved with good intentions. I don't know I'm doing it. I don't mean to be doing it, but it's just human nature. I'm going to cleanse. I'm going to cleanse my part and I'm going to vandalize your part up until the point where I've rehearsed this enough so that that resentment is very clear to me that I was innocent as the driven snow. I was just like a little lamb in the woods and you came along and you did me dirt. And we're gonna talk about that fourth column this morning of the resentment inventory. And we're gonna look probably for the first time at our part in some of these things. And it's gonna be rather eye-opening. We don't fear it. We don't, we don't have any reason to fear it, but what we wanna remember is this, and I'm glad that Christmas was yesterday so that my example can be more clear. What we're doing is we're going through a, a series of activities that is gonna uncover, discover, and discard. What are we gonna uncover? We are going to uncover the things that have been blocking us from our higher power. And what are those things? Those things are the defects of character that have served me to a point to not only destroy my life, but they have brought me to where I am today. And what are those defects of character? They are selfishness, the script, self-seeking, the actions that I take to get you to stick to my script, dishonesty, anger or resentment, excuse me, not anger, resentment and fear. So again, those, re, those uh, defects of character and being lazy or being late <clears throat> for work or all the, those are not defects of character. Those are behaviors that are the manifestations of the defects of character, okay? So yelling at your yelling at your friend or or being whatever a jerk, that's not a defect of character, okay? These are the defects of character that we're going to be talking about. Selfishness, the script, self-seeking, the action that I take to get you to stick to my script, dishonesty, fear and resentment. Those are the defects of character that we're going to be dealing with. And if you remember last week, and we touched on it the week before, where does fear come from? Where does anger come from? It comes from a threat or a perceived threat to our basic instincts of life. And what are those basic instincts of life? The basic instincts of life are God-given. They are hardwired into our soul by God so that the race, not the race, the species of human being will perpetuate itself and thrive. What are the three basic instincts and their subsets? They are the social instinct. The social instinct, make me a part of the group, make me the leader, make me the, a part of it, what have you. The social instinct. Even cavemen had this. They figured out thousands and thousands of years ago, Cro-Magnum man proves this out, Peking man proves this out, uh, uh, what else? Mongolian man proves this out. We have Neanderthal proves this out. We have an instinct in us that we can work better together in groups than we can as individuals. Me and Maria and Betty, we're going to run that wildebeest right past that tree. Now, uh, Linda and Pam, you get ready with your, with your stick and you hit the wildebeest on the head. And when we kill that wildebeest, we'll all have a nice meal that we'll share together. And so that works a lot better than me by myself trying to provide for my family. And you can see how that would, would, would affect you. Now, there's a subset to the social instinct, and that is self-esteem. And self-esteem is, is largely reflective. What does that mean? It means I am not what I think I am. I am what I think you think I am. Let me go through that again. I am not what I think I am. I am in my self-esteem mode, excuse me. 
I am what I think you think I am. So if all of you think I'm a pretty good person that will rise, raise, not rise, raise my self-esteem. If all of you thought I was a putz, then that would lower my self-esteem. So if you're going to outsmart me, outwit me and make a fool out of me, and that happened to me quite a bit, especially in my illness, I was the fattest kid around for, for, for miles. I was the fattest kid around. And so my self-esteem took a lambasting and a battering to be sure. So anything I have in the area of the social instinct, anything I have in the area of self-esteem or my ambitions for the future. If I want, let's just say I'm part of this group over here, but I want to be in with that group that's over there, but there's a person over there, we'll call him Joe. And Joe is bad mouthing me to those people. So I can't really get in very good with them. I'm going to lash out at Joe and I'm going to lash out at him in such a way that will create some discomfort for him. He's going to retaliate against me, creating pain and suffering for me. And as he does this, I am going to develop a resentment. Resentment means to re-feel old hurts. Let's continue with the other two instincts because again, quickly, because we did it last week, but quickly to review, this is where fear comes from. This is where resentment comes from. This is where a lot of our, our dishonesty comes from. We want to cultivate this self-esteem. We want to cultivate these things so that we can be part of the group. Now let's take a look at the second instinct. So uh, security instinct, pocketbook, security. And we're all imbued by an instinct that is hardwired into us by God Almighty or your higher power, whatever you believe in, whatever you choose to believe to make money, to provide for our families. But we also are imbued by God not to spend all the money. We save a little bit for that proverbial rainy day. We don't just go out and make a dollar, spend a dollar, make a dollar, spend a dollar. We make a dollar and we try to hold some of it back as best we can so that we have something kind of built up. And that's imbued into us by God. So that pocketbook, what I have now, if you're going to take away my job or take away my money, it's going to affect me in a way that is going to make me angry. It's going to make me scared. I'm going to lash out at you, creating pain and suffering for you. And as I do so, you're going to retaliate against me, creating pain and suffering for me. And as you do so, it is going to develop within me a resentment to refeel old hurts what I have now or my ambition for the future. Under the security instinct, there is also emotional security. So I wanna keep what I have in the area of emotional security. And I also wanna guarantee that in the future, I'm gonna have this emotional security. And of course there is no guarantee. We just have to take things a day at a time, a moment at a time. And the last part of the security instinct, I didn't used to spit when I talk. I hope that's not a product of getting old because I'd hate to have to walk around and serve towels with my conversations. But anyway, okay. So now we have the last part of the security instinct and that is personal, <coughs> excuse me, personal security. And that's our safety. Let's just say, for example, the 127 of us that are in this room right now, we're in an actual room. We were at a retreat together. We were at a convention together. And somebody comes in and they have a, a weapon. They have a gun. They have a stick. They have a knife. They have something. And we perceive that they are threatening our personal security. That instinct that we have to preserve our life, to flee or fight, comes from God. It comes from God and it is hardwired into us to either fight or flee from this danger. So we have security pocketbook, we have emotional security, and we have personal security. And the last of the three instincts doesn't have any subsets to it. It is the sex instinct. And without the sex instinct, we would not 
procreate. We would not do the things we do for courtship, whether your sex instinct is to, to heterosexual sex or homosexual sex or for whatever you have is not the point of discussion for this group at this time ever, because that is an outside issue. So when I say sex, it is sex as you perceive sex, but I'm just going to talk about sex in the sense that we are hardwired by God to seek out a mate. And again, the gender of that mate is irrelevant. Or, or we are hardwired to pair bond. We are hardwired to pair bond. And so this is something that becomes part of our fantasy. It becomes part of our thoughts. It becomes part of our you know, our dreams and our aspirations, that kind of thing. So I want to keep the wife I have, which I, I'm not married, but when I was married, I want to keep the wife I have. And when it was discovered or when I was told that she was already in a sexual relationship with someone else, that was extremely hurtful, not only from the sexual part of it, but as my self-esteem, as my emotional security, my financial security, all these various things started coming into play. It was extremely devastating news. So just to review very quickly, three basic instincts of life, anything that affects what we have now or our ambitions for the future, social instinct, security instinct, sex instinct. Those are the three basic instincts of life. And any threat to those is going to produce the fear and the anger that you have been feeling your entire life. If every human being could have their basic instincts satisfied to a 100% degree, there'd never be any conflict on the face of the earth. If every human being had this, it would be a very, very different world and we'd be very, very different people. But as we know, that's not possible to satisfy everyone in every situation. Some resources are quite abundant, some resources are not. If I have a crush on Susie and Mike has a crush on Susie, then there's only one Susie. One of us is going to have to look elsewhere. Or Susie may reject both of us and say, I don't like either one of you. I like uh, Marty or I like whatever, Rumpelstiltskin. We don't know. So some resources are quite abundant and some resources are quite, um, quite scarce, as the case may be. Let's go to page 66 and let's begin our day today, page 66, and it is the paragraph, it is plain that a life, page 66, and it is the paragraph, it is plain that a life. <sighs> Sorry, okay. It is plain that a life which includes deep resentment leads only to futility and unhappiness. What is futility? Futility comes from the word futile. And futile means without any benefit whatsoever. It is futile for me to fight City Hall. It is futile for me to try to uh, teach a goldfish how to play the saxophone. It is just not going to produce anything. All it's going to do is be a source of frustration. All it's going to end up doing is wasting my time. A goldfish can play the xylophone, but they can't play the saxophone. All right. And it's going to lead to unhappiness. Why does it lead to unhappiness? Because angry people are never happy because angry people are in a state that is unnatural to a human being. God put us on this earth to be happy, joyous, and free. And when I am in a situation where I am constantly angry, constantly dissatisfied. You, if you've ever had a relationship of any kind, be it friend, be it romantic, be it a relative or anything or anyone with someone who is just constantly complaining, con you give them a million dollars and they'll complain about the size of the taxes. You buy them a house and they'll complain about the plumbing. It, it's exhausting. You, I can't be around that anymore. And I don't want to be around myself if I'm like that, because I, it's just too frustrating for me. I'm too old for this kind of crap. I don't want to deal with this anymore. <laughs> so it becomes a source of unhappiness. 
to the precise extent that we permit these, do we squander the hours that might have been worthwhile? Look at what we could produce if we harness the energy of all of our resentments when we're in this stage, if we could harness that energy, oh my God, the things that we could do. But with the alcoholic whose hope is the maintenance and growth of a spiritual experience, Remember, we are looking for a spiritual awakening. If you've had a spiritual experience, that's great. I never have. I can only speak to my own experience. And my experience is that God came to me slowly. I had a spiritual awakening and have not had, have a spiritual awakening of the educational variety. I have not had a sudden and profound spiritual experience. What's the difference between a spiritual awakening and a spiritual experience? An awakening is slow developing and a spiritual experience is sudden and profound. This business of resentment is infinitely grave. This next sentence is one of the most important sentences I will ever read in my life. We found that it is fatal. We found that it is fatal. How is it fatal? We hear all the time that the disease is permanent, progressive, and fatal. We hear all the time that resentments are fatal. How are they fail fatal? How does this work? I just talked about it at the beginning of our session. I'm going to briefly touch on it now. The reason that resentments are fatal is because they will develop the toxicity of the emotional buildup that will drive me into the arms of a Chips Ahoy cookie. I will eat a Chips Ahoy cookie in search of relief from the untenable, unbearable, searing, debilitating pain of not eating one. Because in a resentment, my brain is extremely uncomfortable and it will seek comfort. Men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. The effect is so elusive that while they admit it's injurious, they cannot after a time differentiate the true from the false. To them, their alcoholic life seems the only normal one. <clears throat> In other words, to me, what I'm doing seems normal and natural. I never put it together that I was eating raisinets and eating milk duds out of anger. But now that I see it so clearly, thank you to Clancy Immislin for showing this to me, but now that I see it so clearly, food became the solution to my problem. And as a solution, it worked beautifully for about nine seconds. We found that it is fatal because the food will do the killing of the disease. It will give me the high blood pressure, diabetes, edema of the lower extremities. It will shut off my heart. It will give me a stroke. It will do the killing that the disease wants done. This disease will settle for me being humiliated, deformed, emasculated, alone, and degraded. But it would prefer me dead. For when harboring such feelings, we shut ourselves off from the sunlight of the spirit. When harboring, harboring means to give safe haven to the feelings of resentment. We have shut ourselves off from God. Remember that we have four impediments to God. An impediment is something which stops or slows progress. We have to find a spiritual awakening or we will not recover from this disease. Let me say that again, it's key. If you, if, if you think about this, this is key. We must find a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, or we will not recover from this disease. It is not going to happen. You are not going to have a situation where you'll have through epiphany, a diet mentality that is going to be successful if you are a compulsive overeater the way I am. The insanity of alcohol returns and we drink again and with us to drink is to die. So we have been told several times that by giving safe haven to these resentments, I'm going to die. Now, I know what some of you are thinking, because I hear good. I had to have an operation on my eyes, but I didn't need one for my ears, not yet. And I can hear good. 
And some of you may be thinking, you don't realize what that son of a bitch did to me. You don't realize what that witch did to me. You don't realize that I am the victim of injustice. Most of us are. We're going to be talking about that a little later this morning. But what we have to ask ourselves, and this is the beginning of that question, is this the hill you want to die on? Do you feel so smug in your resentment? Do you feel so justified in holding that resentment that you will die for it? Because that is the choice that you are going to be faced with. It's either give up that resentment or die. You are not going to strike middle ground here. You are either going to let go of that resentment and leave retribution to God, or you are not, and you are going to die because you will eat again. It is not a question of, when, of, of if you're going to eat again. It is a question of when. I want you to let that sink in. I'm going to say it one more time. Yes, I realize that some of you have some resentments that you feel extremely justified in holding on to. I get it. There are some really, really nefarious, mean, ill-intentioned people out there. I just had a scam on, my, on one of my accounts. I'm, I'm holding my breath, hoping that they didn't do more damage. I get it. Not everybody's nice like us but we can either hold on to that resentment and die or let it go and live in the sunlight of the spirit. There is no middle ground here. If we were to live, we had to be free of anger. The grouch and the brainstorm were not for us. The grouch is somebody that's mad all the time. Every time you see them, hear them, they are mad at something or somebody. And the brainstorm is a word used very differently today than it was uh, 90 years ago, and the brainstorm, or 85 years ago, it is somebody who's not mad all the time, but when they're mad, look out. We don't use brainstorm like that anymore. We would use tempestuous anger. We would use, you know, crazy, whatever. But a brainstorm in that those days was somebody that's not angry all the time, but when they are, watch out. They may be the dubious luxury of normal men, dubious, seemingly right, but not. It is not a luxury that you want to have. It's not like having a brand new Lincoln or a Mercedes or a Learjet. It's a dubious luxury, not a good one. But for alcoholics, these things are poison. See, when the big book wants to tell us something, it doesn't just tell it to us once. It tells it to us several different times. And that's called spiraling the information. Spiraling the information means that it's repeated and repeated and repeated. We turned back to the list for it held the key to the future. What list? If you remember last week, we talked about the first three columns of the resentment inventory. And the first three columns, column one, who or what do you resent? Column two, what did they do to you? Or why do you have this resentment? 19 words or less. 19 words or less because of the example. I don't want you writing me a novel on why you resent your mother-in-law. I don't need that. Column one, who or what do you resent? Column two, why do you resent them? Column three, what basic instinct or instincts are affected? Now we're looking, heading into the fourth column. We turn back to the list, first three columns, and held the key to the future. We were prepared to look at it from an entirely different angle. We began to see that the world and its people really dominated us. We thought we were so high and mighty, but we weren't. In that state, the wrongdoing of others, fancied or real, had power to actually kill. Now stop right there. <clears throat> In order for there to be a jail, you got to have a prisoner and you got to have a guard. Haven't you been guarding this long enough? Aren't you ready to take some time off or let it go? Because you're chaining yourself to this resentment with steel handcuffs. Is that what you want? 
It has the power to kill because it has the power to drive you into the food. And when it drives you into the food, the food will kill you. Let that sink in for just a minute here. Once again, I cannot hold the resentment and recover. I must let go of the resentment in order to recover. I have a higher power now. I'm gonna leave retribution to God. How could we escape? We saw that these resentments must be mastered, but how? We could not wish them away any more than alcohol. In other words, I cannot use dieting tips, willpower. I cannot use discipline to will away my resentments. I must take this action and I must have this method, this step, fourth step to get rid of it because I need to see it. I need to see it on, in black and white. This was our course. We realized that the people who wronged us were perhaps spiritually sick. Though we did not like their symptoms, I'm at the top of 67. And the way these disturbed us, they like ourselves were sick too. We asked God to help us show them the same tolerance, pity, and patience that we would cheerfully grant a sick friend. The people that wronged us in most cases are spiritually sick. The people that defrauded my account, the people that, that scammed me, they're sick people. They're sick. I pray for them. They're sick people. When a person offended, we said to ourselves, this is a sick man. How can I be helpful to him? God, save me from being angry. Thy will be done. This is your sick man prayer. It's called the sick man prayer. If you want to write that in the margin of your book, this is the sick man prayer. And it's very, very important that you become accustomed to using this prayer because it is a life-saving, life-giving prayer. This is a sick man. How can I be helpful to him? God, save me from being angry. Thy will be done. Very, very important. So when we start to see when we start to see that these are sick people, not bad people, we're starting to shift in the way we're thinking. We're starting to shift in the way we're looking at things and we're getting closer to God and further away from the food. Let's continue. We avoid retaliation or argument. We wouldn't treat sick people that way. If we do, we destroy our chance of being helpful. We cannot be helpful to all people, but at least God will show us how to take a kindly and tolerant view of each and every one. There's an old Yiddish expression, Yiddishkeit without menschkeit is nothing. What does that mean? Being religious without treating people like a human being is nothing. If I took the Catholic religion and the Jewish religion, the Protestant religion, and all religions known to mankind, Muslim and Native American uh, religions, not languages, religions, and Buddhism, and all these other various religions, Shinto, whatever you may have, and I boiled it down to one basic truth. This is what we would find. Treat others as you would want to be treated. Who among us has not hurt someone else? <coughs> Who among us hasn't said something that was hurtful to another person? Who among us hasn't lied? Who among us hasn't taken advantage of someone in one way or another? Who among us is perfect? And yet we want to excuse ourselves and have everybody excuse us, but we want to crucify, we want to skewer the person who wronged us. God doesn't have grandchildren. Every one of those people is a child of a loving God. It is a child of God. Now we have to shift our thinking. We have to shift the way we're looking at these things. Now, 
referring to our list again, page 67, this is the paragraph where we're going to do the fourth column of the resentment inventory. So you may want to take some notes here. Referring to our list again, putting out of our minds the wrongs others had done, we resolutely, what does resolutely mean? It means with purpose, look for our own mistakes. Oh, 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 that's the first time I've ever done that. I'm not used to looking at my mistakes. I'm just used to looking at your mistakes because I love to assign blame. I, with purpose, look for my own transgressions. Where had we been selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, and frightened? So I'm going to list what I did to cause this resentment, if anything. And now I'm going to put down the character defects. So there should be two pieces of information in the fourth column. What did I do to bring the resentment about and what character defects were brought to the surface? If I lied, it won't just be dishonesty. There'll be fear involved. There'll be selfishness involved in almost all possible cases. Self-seeking probably too. Though a situation had not been entirely our fault, we tried to disregard the other person involved entirely. So now we are looking at our part in this. Where were we to blame? The inventory was ours, not the other man's. When we saw our faults, we listed them. We placed them before us in black and white. That means we're going to write it down in the fourth column of the inventory. What did we do to bring the resentment about and what character defects were brought to the surface, we admitted our wrongs honestly and were willing to set these matters straight. Now, again, there are certain people, there are certain situations where you had no part in a resentment. Based on the 132 people that are at this, at this big book study right now, so take me and include me in this. Don't exclude me, include me in that number. There are people in this group right now that were raped. There are people in this group that were molested by a parent or a relative. There are people in this group right now that have been abandoned or physically beaten as children. Did you have a part in that? No. No, you did not. So you don't have a part in that and you don't have any character defects that brought that to the surface. You just simply write DNA does not apply or just write whatever it is that makes sense to you. I understand that there are some resentments like that. I learned at the feet of the master. My father came to this country when he was 14 years old in 1914. He was the sole survivor of a family of 40 people who were obliterated off the face of the earth. They were murdered. And for what reason, for what reason were these people murdered? They were murdered because they celebrated Sabbath on Saturday rather than Sunday. They were obliterated off the face of the earth from ages six weeks to 75 years old. They were obliterated. So my father felt this anger all of his life. He never cried into the night because, because they died. He cried into the night because he didn't understand why he alone survived. If you've never seen your father cry, I've seen mine cry thousands of times, especially when it would get closer to Easter because that's when it happened. But the bottom line is, is that he was shattered by what happened. He was shattered by the murder, the mayhem, the smells and the sounds that he remembers from that horrible night and he alone survived. Did he have a part in that? No. Was he affected by it? Yes. 
So there comes a point where you have to say to yourself, I am going to give this to God. I am going to give this to my higher power. Is this the hill you want to die on? The horrible, horrible thing that happened to you so many years ago, are you going to let it kill you? Are you going to die on that hill? I remember very distinctly, and Della, if you're here, I don't know if you are or not, but if you're here, you'll remember this too. Della and I, and, and some of us who were from Chicago, we used to go to meetings with somebody, and her name was Shirley. I, I won't give the last name, but her name was Shirley. She's gone now. And she had a 16-year-old daughter. And her 16-year-old daughter fell in love with Mr. Wrong. Motorcycle, gave the finger to the cops, dropped out of high school. You know, the typical guy that you don't want your daughter going out with. She, this little 16-year-old girl in Skokie, where there's not a lot of crime, especially in those days, there wasn't. There wasn't a lot of crime there then. And she tried to break up with him and he came to the door and blew her brains out. He shot her right in the face and in the head and in the abdomen, and he emptied the gun in her. And Shirley disappeared for three, four years, three years, I think. She disappeared from meetings. And when she came back, it, this was front page news on every new, we had four newspapers in Chicago at that time. Now we have two, but, <sighs> It was on the news, it was on the radio, it was on TV. It was big, big news. And she came back to meetings maybe three, four years after this happened. We hadn't seen her for years. And she was, she was about as white as this paper. She was like a ghost. And she, she used to take care of her hair. She used to, you know, she would put herself together. No more, forget about it. And she came to a meeting and she sat in the back of the room. In those days, all meetings in Chicago were theater style. We didn't sit like in a circle. We didn't, it was all theater style. In order to share, you went to the front of the room and shared and you'd look at everybody. It was like a theater style. So three, four months goes by. She came in, she left, she didn't talk to anybody. About four months after this, after she came back, not four months after it happened. She got up to the front of the room. You could hear a pin drop in that place. And she gets up and she says, that son of a bitch took away my daughter. And I've spent the last three years with district attorneys and detectives and police and judges and courts and lawyers. And I have run myself ragged with this. I have cried a river of tears and she said, I'm not gonna give this guy one more minute. I'm not gonna give this guy one more minute. I'm gonna let it go. It's time to let it go. It is time to let it go. One of the most unfortunate dates in history occurred on April the 29th 1865, April the 29th, 1865. There was a skirmish between Confederate troops and Union troops, Army of the Potomac, that occurred about 100 miles west of New Orleans, Louisiana. There were 27 men injured and 14 killed. There were 14 men killed that day and 27 of them were wounded. Why is that so horrible? The war had been raging for years. There were lots of battles and lots of skirmishes. On April the 9th, 1865, Lee surrendered to Grant. The war was over. There was no reason to fight, but they didn't know it. The war is over. I'll say it again. The war is over. There's no reason to fight anymore. 
no reason to fight at all whatsoever. We have to let it go. And it is very, very difficult at times to let it go because we just feel a responsibility. Yes, that's the word. We feel almost a responsibility to keep the venom going, to keep the hate going. And we know who to talk to so that we can rehearse the hate and we can talk about it with these people and we can hate and hate and hate and get fatter and fatter and fatter and fatter. We cannot afford the luxury. We cannot afford the dubious luxury of this resentment. So let's review the four columns of the resentment inventory. Column one, who or what do you resent? Column two, why do you resent them or it? 19 words or less please don't write a book. Do not go off and write war and peace about why your mother-in-law is a witch. It, it serves no purpose, no purpose whatsoever. Column three, what basic instinct or instincts, plural, are affected? And column four, what did you do to set this ball in motion? What did you do to set this resentment going and what character defects were brought to the surface in you? Now, I did a fifth step. Oh, this is maybe six, seven years ago. I wasn't married anymore. It's about six, seven years ago. And this guy met me at the coffee plantation and he had the inventory done. And it was, an invent it was a resentment against his uh, mother-in-law and his sister-in-law. And when he gave the reason for the, re or what did you do to set it in motion? He had their actions and their defects of character and their part in it, not his. And I couldn't, I didn't want to laugh at his face, but it was absolutely hysterical. I had to send him back to do it again, but he had his mother-in-law's inventory down. I says, well, that's good. At least you've got some practice now, but let's turn it on to yourself rather than your mother-in-law. He says, but you don't understand. She's a witch. I says, I don't care what she is. I don't care if she's the wicked witch of the West. I don't care. It's not her inventory. It's your inventory. And by the next day, he had it correct, but he was not happy with me. I says, oh, I, th I think I've made your uh, resentment list there. He wanted to tell me about his mother-in-law. And boy, I'll tell you, that was, that was if it was <laughs> I almost laughed in his face, but thank God I was able not to do that. That would have been embarrassing. That would have been totally embarrassing. When we talk about these behaviors, what did you do to set the ball in motion and what character defects were brought to the surface? You are going to start to uncover, discover, and discard. You are going to start to see where your resentments have emanated from. You're going to start to see that most of them are from one direction or another. And sometimes the resentments are all about money people that money, 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 money. And sometimes it's all about sex. And sometimes it's all about not getting attention. And sometimes it's a combination of these things. And the fear starts to come out, even though we haven't done the fear inventory, that we resent people because we perceive that they're encroaching on our attention or they're encroaching on our money or they're encroaching on our sex. So we start to see who we are as human beings, who we are as people starts to come around. And so this becomes a very, very enlightening part of it. It's all enlightening, but this is the first column where you're really going to see in black and white where your resentments fit into certain patterns, where they are. Now, there's a lot of people that just don't stick to your script 
There's a lot of people that whatever it is for you, for me, most of my resentments had to do with a lot of jealousies. Most of them had to do with a lot of anger because people just didn't stick to my script. My perception of the world around me was that it was me against them. And it kind of took me about 40 or 50 of these resentments so I could see it very, very clearly. I could see it and I really learned what was starting, what was making, I started learning what was making me tick. It, I started learning where these things were coming from. It's eye-opening if it's done correctly. It's unbelievable. And so this is again, the four columns of the resentment inventory. Who or what do you resent? What did they do to you? Why do you have the resentment? Basic instincts and your part. If you need a little help, that's why we're here. That's why you have a sponsor. And this should be a very quick process. I don't give more than three hours for the fourth step. There's not a question here you don't know the answer to. Your confusion or my confusion is equal to what my ego does not want me to see. So if I'm confused about something, maybe I have to pick up a phone and call my sponsor and say, here's what's going on. But always remembering, I do know the answer to this. I really do. This is not a very complicated process. You don't need an advanced degree from Rutgers. You don't need an advanced degree from Yale or Harvard or, or whatever. You don't need one. It's really basic stuff. Remember guys, this was written for guys. There's these guys were in the depression. Some of them were educated. Most of them were not. Most of them had less education than you do. These guys, because of the depression, were forced out into the workforce or forced into World War I at very young ages, very, very young ages. Let's cover one more paragraph and then Maria, I'll turn it back to you because I wanna set us up for the fear inventory. And I hope I've explained the resentment inventory. I'm confident that I have, but if something comes up in Q and A, it comes up and that that's okay. But I wanna get us kind of rolling into next week with the fear inventory. I'm at the bottom of 67. Notice that the word fear is bracketed along the difficulties with Mr. Brown, Mrs. Jones, the employer and the wife. This, sort, this short word somehow touches about every aspect of our lives. It was an evil and corroding thread. So I'm sewing something, I'm making something and the thread is corrosive. What's gonna happen to the tapestry? What's gonna happen to what I'm sewing? It's gonna fall apart. It's gonna fall apart. I have to have thread that is not corroding and fear is gonna make my life fall apart. And how does it do that? It's gonna drive me into the food. The fabric of our existence was shot through with it. We are more scared than we realize. And those people that you know in your life that seem very, very confident, because you're judging your scared, angry, weak, broken insides with their seemingly together outsides, they're scared too. They're scared too. They may not be scared of the same things you're scared of. They may not have the same fears that you have, but fear is not a characteristic of the weak. It is a characteristic of the human. Let me say that again. Fear and anger are not a characteristic of the weak. They are a characteristic of the human. And that's why we have a 10th step. And that's why we have an 11th step because we're constantly, constantly, constantly going to have these things come up in our lives. Remember it says on page 84, when these things crop up, referring to the defects, it doesn't say if, it says when, and that's a very key distinction. It's set in motions, bottom of 67, trains of circumstances which brought us misfortune we felt we didn't deserve. So we were scared and that created more problems and we felt like the world was persecuting us, didn't we? But did we not, did not we ourselves set the ball rolling? There again, we're going to be looking at our part. Sometimes we think fear ought to be classed with stealing it seems to cause more trouble. So the more we fear, 
the worse things got, but we have no power. Lack of power was our dilemma. And we have no power with which to fend off these fears on our own. We had to have God's help. And in order to get God's help, we are going to have to do this inventory process. And in doing this inventory process, we are beginning to get God's help because in order for us to know what we need help with, we have to see what it is. Okay, we're gonna go to Q&A now. We're gonna go to Q&A.